Don't that feel good when your crowd behind you? You know what I'm saying? Let's give them something to cheer for now. Hey, I'm not gonna be a real patient guy now. And I say this shit stops the Tampa 2. Tampa 2. Rocking with the Tampa 2. I think it's a game. I came up from nothing. You can't tell me. Yeah, did All right, so everyone, special edition tonight. We uh, we have a, a, a special appearance from Greg Allman from The Athletic. We're obviously very thankful to have him on here. Um, so right with that, we'll, uh, we'll jump in first question. So Greg, obviously this year has been a, a up and down year, highs and lows. Um, how do you feel about Jason Light and Dirk Cutter into next year? And this is kind of a two-part question. So do we think we'll, they will make it to next year? And then also, do we think, you know, how do we feel about Jason Light's draft picks overall? Yeah, I'm sorry. You cut out for a bit there. You asked about the 18 class? Yeah, really all the classes kind of overall. So just it's really a two-part, and we kind of are tying them together. Obviously, I think they're a little tight at the hip, Dirk and Jason Light. But we kind of – what we're thinking is we just want to know, in your opinion, what we're thinking, you know, you feel about them making it to next year and if that's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's kind of like the, the next eight games are basically a referendum on that. I mean, I think it's definitely – in play that they do well enough that they're back. And I think it's definitely also there that, that if they struggle, both of them are in danger. Um, you know, we don't really know how married they are as their job futures go. I mean, I think the fact that light got a, a one-year extension helps him, but I mean, obviously the Glazers have shown that if they're not happy with somebody, they'll be happy to move on uh, when there's still, you know, money left on the contract and years left on the contract. So right now, I mean, it's one of those where it, it's tricky because here you have this offense that's, easily the most productive offense the Bucs have ever had. I mean, they've got 23 touchdown passes at, at the midway point of the season, and the team record is 29. So, I mean, they're, they're going to obliterate that with, with five or six games left in the season. Uh, but, but you also have quarterbacks that are throwing interceptions at an ungodly rate. And, and of course, you have, a, you have a defense that's, you know, looking to set all-time records. So, Cutter's responsible for all those things. So, it's kind of like, if you get rid of him, you're going to lose a lot from the offense, but you probably have a different defense. Um, so I don't know what it'll be and, and how things will close out, but I think everything is kind of in play right now, in, including the quarterback, too. Okay, and so the second part to that question, a little bit more to Jason Light, the focus on him. Overall, not just the 18 draft class. I know Matt has some thoughts on that, but how do you feel overall kind of looking at his whole body of work about you know his draft classes so far? Yeah, I mean, I think what's clear to see is is that they're just such a mixed bag in that you have, you know, 14 has basically been reduced to Mike Evans, and that's still a great pick. You get an $80 million totally. contract out of a draft, you have to be happy with that. Mm -hmm. um, and you think about, you know, I think you go into that 14 draft, everyone's wondering if, if Manziel is the pick. So I think they picked the right end of that Texas A&M connection to <laughs> – yeah. to uh, to invest in long term. So no, like 15's a great class. I mean even if Winston is iffy right now, um for you to have gotten the four years you got from him, for you to have Smith and Marpet and potentially Quan Alexander all getting long-term deals. Um that's a great draft class. That's that's four major hits there. That's his best draft. Um and then 17 looks like it's not far behind. I mean, you know, OJ Howard is every bit what they wanted him to be. Uh, I think a lot of the whole I wish they had taken Dalvin Cook crowd has kind of died down here in year two. Um, Chris Godwin, I, I think, is continuing to emerge and will only grow as a great value pick. And, and I think Justin Evans is a guy they're still very confident in and hopeful that he can be an anchor in that secondary. So 17 is a great class. 16, of course, is not a good class at all. Um, and it's like you're, you're running out of any contribution from that class. I mean, Noah Spence is active and that is the very extent of the praise you can give no offense right now is that he's still on the roster um that puts him ahead of aguayo that makes him healthier than hargraves you know ryan smith there's there's other guys we can talk about here but you know it, it's very hit and miss um you're asking about the 18 class and i think the 18 class for the most part has been disappointing especially at the top i mean vita vea you know misses seven weeks with injury has been a non-factor when he's played Ronald Jones is getting two yards of carry, and now he's hurt. So it's entirely possible that his rookie year will be I don't know, 200 yards or less. 
Oof. Um, Yikes. So, I mean, it's kind of like a lot of the key parts are almost taking what you'd call a redshirt year in colleges. <laughs> um, and that's not what you want. This was a class where they, you know, they kept nine rookies and it looked like major impact all over. And unfortunately, it just hasn't taken in most positions. I mean, I think Carlton Davis, you would think of as, as a good success story in this class. Um, somebody they think of as a, a lock, you know, an every down corner outside and, and somebody they'll build around as they figure out the future of the secondary. Um, MJ Stewart, I think probably less success. But again, if you think about what their plans were, I don't think they intended him to be their their primary nickel this year. So he's probably gotten thrust into things earlier than you'd expect. Uh, Justin Watson has barely played. Jack Sitchie got hurt. Uh, Alex Kappa hasn't played a snap. So as much as you had nine rookies on the roster, it's like you sit back and you try and think, all right, well, what are the impact plays they've gotten from rookies this year? Uh, I think it's a nine-yard run by <laughs> Ronald Jones is what I would say is the biggest play by a rookie this year. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it, it's been absent. And, and maybe in the second half of the, of the year, Things will be better. Um, maybe we'll see Kappa at some point. Maybe Vita Vea will start making plays like they need him to. Uh, but no, I mean, I, I, it's you can't evaluate a draft class based on the first half of the rookie year. But it, it, it's been, you know, nearly non-existent so far. Yeah, I kind of, Matt here, appreciate you coming on, Greg. Yeah, I, I agree with pretty much everything you said. And we've, we've been going through kind of the draft classes lately and, 2016 almost like you alluded to almost being like a throwaway draft and i think that hurts light's case um just if you could touch again real quick on vita v and ronald jones i mean i know you see all the twitter derwin james everyone kind of mad about not bringing him here are, are you ready to kind of say that vita v and ronald jones are bust or too early and Man, you just think as a top 15 pick, you, you would have seen a, a little bit more, right, from a D-tackle top 15 pick? Yeah, I mean, again, I, I think it's it's way early to talk about things like bus. I mean, it, it's right. not like they want him to. But, again, I mean, if you if you take seven weeks away from somebody's natural progress, I mean, he would be – this game for him right now is, what, his fifth game? So, I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's what normally is week one for a rookie after four preseason games. So, again, I mean, I think – to some extent, you know, them having the lack of continuity that had a D tackle and that he's Vita Vea has basically had one game with Allen and McCoy and the natural rotation of those three. He's had games without Bo Allen. He's had games without Gerald McCoy. So the cast around him hasn't really been conducive to him getting into a rhythm or understanding how he fits into that. Um, I think you've had individual plays where you see how physically dominant he can be, but you also see him looking like somebody who's in his first month, essentially as an NFL player where he looks lost and he doesn't necessarily know what to do after he's physically dominated the guy in front of him. And, and that's going to come with time. Again, this is, this is kind of like the first quarter of his, whatever you're evaluating, you know, and I, right. right now it's really easy because you see Derwin James playing well. He is, I mean, there are, there are top five teams that were in the draft that wish they had taken Derwin James right now based on the initial uh, impact he's made. And part of that is that the NFL doesn't put a lot of value on safeties. They, they just don't. You can be the best safety in a class, as Derwin James looked to be, and you're not logically a top 10 pick. So some of that is just the, um, I guess, just the odd valuations the NFL has where running backs generally aren't valued very highly and safeties aren't generally valued very highly. And I think that worked against Derwin and that's why he's a steal at, at 18. It's, I think it's important to note that it's not like the bucks missed on, you know, they took Vea and then the number 13 team ran to the podium and took Derwin James. There were four more teams that passed on him completely. And then he went right. whatever, 17 or 18. So like I said, yeah. there are lots of teams that would like point. to have Derwin James right now. That's it's really good point. it's kind of the default frustration for Bucks fans is the number one pick isn't playing well. The Bucks are already down a safety and not playing well in the secondary. So right, yeah, if they had Derwin James, they'd be eight zero and we'd be throwing for eight and everything else. But <laughs> I sure wish everybody in the league would have liked to have taken Derwin James, and unless they're getting, I don't even know who you'd say Saquon maybe as a production. Yeah, I mean most of the rookies aren't jumping in and playing as well as Derwin is. Yeah. 
Well, going into the uh, you know most important position in all of sports, if Greg Allman put his GM hat on, what does he think about the future of Jameis? Yeah, and that's another one that I legit don't know which way they're going to go in that. <laughs> you know, you think about halftime Sunday in Charlotte. It's like you wondered, wow, it's it's 35-7. Do you handle this like you did in Chicago and now give Jameis a half and see how he does with it? And obviously they didn't, and it worked out well because Fitz played very well and, and brought him back into it. Um, they They have to kind of decide within these next eight games where they want to go with their quarterback playing time, because right now they can still say, okay, what matters most is which guy gives them the best chance to get to nine and seven and be in wild card contention. And that's a lot because they have to go six and two down the stretch to get to nine and seven. Um, These next three, I I think help in that, especially with Washington dealing with the injuries they're dealing with, with two offensive linemen now out for the season they're really dinged up from an offense that wasn't necessarily producing very well to begin with. So with Washington, with the Niners and with the Giants, you've got three games. I guess it's the Giants and the Niners, but the next three games are games where the Bucks might be favored games. They should win if they play well. Um, so now it's on your six and five. And if, if Fitz is the guy that got you to six and five and he's won three straight, there's a lot of momentum there. Uh, if you haven't won three straight, if you're, Four and seven at that point, you got five games where you have to decide if it's another audition for Jameis to try and keep his job or whether you stick with Fitz. And if you do that, you're probably moving on from Jameis because, I mean, you can't really give a guy $21 million if he's a healthy scratch for half a season up against a 35 year old who you don't have that much invested in. Because right now, Fitz, I mean, the dream scenario in playing Fitz is that he plays well enough that. You don't have to bring Winston back, and you probably trade him for a pick, and then you probably draft a guy to bring along slowly behind Fitz next year. Um, but again, that's a very narrow um, probability that he's going to play so well that it sets that up. Chances are they're going to be middling and be like seven and nine or something, and they're going to have really tough decisions to make. Yep. First of all, by coach, then about GM, and then probably letting those people decide if they want to inherit the quarterback they've had that got a coach and a GM in part fired. Again, and I'm not saying this is all on Jameis, but you're either inheriting somebody else's quarterback situation or you're taking the the random luck of whatever you can get in a draft or in what looks to be a pretty weak free agent class. Um, So it could be a lot of uncertainty or it could be very much similar to what we have right now. And that's all going to hinge on how many of the next eight games they can win. So next topic, a little bit shifting gears. Obviously, uh, it's been well covered. Uh, not riff, that's too strong of a word, but kind of the discord between Deshaun and Jameis, particularly just really on the field. I don't think it's an off-the-field thing. But I am curious because you kind of hear rumblings and you've seen posts from him on social media. Do you get a sense that the locker room is kind of splitting on Cutter? And specifically that decision um, between Fitz and Jameis? I, I don't. Um, I think Deshaun's unhappy. I don't think there's a lot that are split that way. Um, I think within that locker room, I think there's a lot of respect for Fitzpatrick and, and what he's done to give them chances to win. I mean, if you think about with the exception of the first half of the Steelers game, he hasn't been so bad as to cost them a game. You know, I think he had a bad first half on Sunday in Charlotte and he had a bad pick that resulted in a touchdown. The offense as a whole didn't move well, but he's the same guy that threw four touchdowns in that game. And, and I mean, the last pick, I, I almost kind of write off the last pick cause you're down 14 with four minutes to go. That's desperation time. You're, you're throwing okay. it up and if it's, if it's deep and it's attached, that's great. But if it's an interception, that's kind of the, the uncle point of the game where you just kind of walk away. Um, so if you look at the numbers, I mean, Fitz has, what, 17 touchdowns against seven interceptions? And Winston has six touchdowns against 10 interceptions? It's not close. No, it's definitely not. So if you're just looking at the production on the field and what they've done, it's not a tough call to make with, with who you put in there. The, the problem is is that you have so much invested in Jameis, and you you put a number one overall pick. You've put four years of development and coaching and 
him being the face of the franchise, that to walk away from that is a hard thing to do, period. It, it's harder to do for somebody that you don't really have a future with. Um, and that's what they have to decide. It's kind of like for them, for the coach and the GM just to get to 2019, they have to win. So it, it really does them no good to stick with Winston and have Winston be middling. And he might throw, if you gave Winston the second half, he's going to throw for 30 touchdowns this year, but he might throw for 25 interceptions as well. So gift and the curse. Yeah, there's not there's not necessarily a um, an easy out or an easy solution in going with Winston. Fitzpatrick is probably the less popular choice just because you have a number one overall pick sitting on your bench. Yeah, Um, totally agree. And anything that Fitz does, you have critics that are saying, well, I think Winston could have done the same thing. Um, And if Fitz makes mistakes and costs you a game, if he comes out and throws four picks on Sunday against Washington, then it really looks bad because you chose not to put the player you have the most invested in on the field. So it's it's not an easy choice, and I don't know that they're making any decisions with a long term with like a permanent feel. If Fitz comes out and throws three picks, it wouldn't surprise me if they go to Winston. Um, but if if Fitz continues to play at a high level, I mean he's a top six, top eight quarterback in the league right now. If he keeps doing that, it's probably his job the rest of the way. Wow. That's crazy. Isn't yeah, that that's crazy? a like you said, a, a big decision just for our franchise to figure out. I got I got one more question for you. Uh hear a lot of people talk about, especially radio guys around here on like 620 is what I usually listen to. But um yeah. do you think it's a it would be a smart move, especially if we move on from um cutter and light to hire and a lot of people throw Derek Brooks out there, but you know, not him specifically, but to hire a, a guy to be the, let's say president of football operations or something like that to make the, maybe take some of the stuff off the plate of the Glazers and maybe hire the new GM and the new coach. Do you think that'd be a good idea? I don't think so, honestly. No. And I really don't expect that to happen. I think there's a lot of love in Tampa for Derek Brooks and, and work. I mean, work done is an owner is a minority owner in the Falcons in another NFL team. So, I mean, he's, he's would have to sell his shares to come and work for the box. He, he's been in Atlanta for a decade, but he's not going to leave to, to take some position with the box. He, he's never been an administrative capacity in the NFL. He's never run a front office. He, he's not really equipped to handle a job like that. He, he's a great person. He's a wonderful ambassador for any team that would have him, but it, it's like Brooks. I mean, Derek Brooks, um, is absolutely adored in this city, rightfully so. But like his experience with the storm doesn't necessarily equate to him knowing how to run an NFL franchise, especially above the GM level, like you guys are talking about. So what I would say is that if Derek Brooks, his success with the storm, and I don't even know the storm was all that successful, but it would be like, if you, if you ran a Panera bread extremely well and had a good Panera bread franchise, and they're like, why don't you come over here and take Burns and see what you can do there? And it's also a restaurant, yes, but a much different economy, a much different level of evaluation and competition and high stakes. So, again, I think Derek would like to very much move into some administrative football capacity. He, he has more free time on his hands because the storm isn't there. But, again, you have somebody like Shelton Quarles who spent – almost a decade now in the front office in administrative roles. Derek hasn't done that at all. So it's not that he couldn't do it. I think it'd be more natural for him to move into a lower role and move up the ranks. I think people saw what John Lynch did and thought, oh, well, anyone could make that move. You could go straight from the broadcast booth to running an NFL team. Um, John Elway kind of did that. It's unusual to be able to pull that off is what I would tell you. And, And I wouldn't really expect it here even with two guys like Brooks and with Don that are just absolute icons on the field, adored off the field, squeaky clean, do everything right. They're the people you want to be ambassadors for your franchise. I don't know if they're the people that really want to, you want to have run your franchise. Okay. All right. Well, first off again, we really want to thank you for your time. Um, and if anyone doesn't know on Twitter, look up Greg, it's Greg Allman, A-U-M-A-N. Um, and Greg, this last question, and then we'll be out on this. It's a very quick, quick hitting question. Defense, is it effort or talent? No, it's, it's, never, it's never effort. I don't think you really have an issue with loafing. It, it, it's been a lot of different things that are frustrating. Um, 
Dirk kind of put this past week on, on bad tackling, which is a terrible thing. It's like the most fundamental thing you can be bad at with a defense is tackling. Um, but you had that. I mean, if you watched plays, uh, the McCaffrey play that goes for a 30-yard gain, Carlton Davis could have tackled him for no gain, even as nice as that play was. And Carlton Davis kind of went low and got hurdled. And then the next play, Carlton Davis misses the play. When you have as many young guys as they do, I think you're going to have lapses like that. So I don't know that tackling has been the lingering problem all season. I think there's times where they've looked lost, where they haven't known their coverages uh, as well as you need to. Um, but, you know, I think if there's one overriding thing, it's just that they're really, really young. And honestly, they're really, really injured. If you think about Quan and Hargraves yeah. and Ponte and Beckwith and MJ Stewart, and Mitch Unrein. I mean, that's six guys that are probably in their top 15 on defense that aren't playing and haven't played in a lot of cases. So they're just losing Quan took away a lot in the middle, took a lot of energy away. Um, their defensive line is now pretty close to full strength. So you're running out of excuses on the front front four, but they've only really just gotten back to full strength. Curry was in a boot after the game. McCoy spent 20 minutes getting worked on after the game. So they're kind of playing hurt. Um, these next three games are a big chance for them to show they're a better defense than they've been. And they've been terrible. But if they can just get to being a defense that holds opponents to 20, that's a huge step forward. Huge, huge. And, and that suddenly makes them a team that can win any game they're in. Because they have an offense that can get you 30 with mistake. So, yep. if all, like I said, if all you do is get a middle-of-the-NFL defense – uh, 15th in the league, 18th in the league. That's all they need. That the offense is oh. good enough where it, it can run with that, and you can win games. Uh, maybe not New Orleans, maybe not uh, Carolina, but the rest of the games on the schedule, you would be in with a middle of the road defense. So that that's what they need to be. Whether they get there, that that's what we're going to find out here in the next two months. All right. Well, Greg. Again, we really appreciate your your knowledge, your time, your expertise, and uh, hopefully we can do this again. Oh, yeah, no problem, guys. Thanks yeah, for having me on. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you. Thanks so, so have much. Have a good night, sir. You too. All right. Well, Matt, looks like it's just you and I again. So for everybody listening, sorry you got us too. Uh, again. Sorry you got you, not me. They love me. <laughs> hey, they love me in the streets. But uh, you know what I mean? They give you more love on Twitter because you're, you're the more partial. Like, you don't, you don't rock the boat very much comparatively. I'd like to take a step back. <laughs> and survey the land. Yeah, and you just yeah, I'm you'll go fly, out baby. there. It'll be like one play, a guy will drop a ball, and and you're calling for his head. You want to cut him and send him to Alaska. So yeah, Adam Humphreys. Yeah, you're sending me texts that you're done with that dude, and he balls out this week. But hey, man, listen. Here's the thing, Matt. It's all good. Here's it's all good. Thing. Still got love for you. No, for sure. Look, look. When Carlton Davis made a play, finally made a play. And he got up in Devin Funchess's face and you just saw that emotion. Like, that's me. I, I relate to him. So sometimes so that's, you, some, that's you doing dumb shit. Sometimes I'm going to get 15 and a penalty. All right. But I'm going to make a play. That's that how costs, I feel about it. So what if it nullifies the play? Okay. In that instance, it didn't nullify a play. But what? A, look, man. That was a bonehead the, play. I, there's no excuse. All jokes aside, yeah. that was a bonehead play. You just got to be smarter. But I get it. He's hype. He hasn't made a play. Just go celebrate with your teammates. Don't get in nobody's exactly. face. Exactly. Like, what if it was before the whistle and cause it to where they get the 15 and the ball? You know what I mean? Then that gives yeah. us no shot. So, yeah, awesome. You made a play. I'm glad you get high. I'm I'm down with you getting in people's face, hey, before the game on site, whatever you want to do. But 15-yard penalties, man, that just that's a selfish move. And to be honest, I heard Michael Clayton talk about this on 620 after the game. He calls that, you know, a lack of leadership on Cutter's part when he sees stuff like that. How do you feel? Uh, I, I don't disagree. I mean, I think he's right. That is a lack of discipline for sure. That's like a definition of. But at the same time, sometimes you do things in sports out of emotion. It's a game of emotion, no matter what anybody wants to say. And that's why guys will drop a ball before they run in for a touchdown or get a penalty and get in someone's face and get a taunting. It's just like you play the game with emotion and you have to find a way to ride that line of not crossing it and being emotional, but playing between whistles and Carlton's young. It's like, 
I'm hoping he makes a ton more plays. And this was just that, okay, if, if I'm going to get a penalty for this instead, I'm just going to, I'm going to talk more trash directly to the guy. I'm going to do it in a calm way. You know what I mean? Find your way that works for you. But to your point, I can't disagree. I do think that's a discipline thing because I didn't necessarily see anybody chew him out when he came off the field either. Oh yeah. And, and like Mike Clayton said already, like, you know, that it would have showed it if he did. And we see, I mean, really the only coach, I mean, I guess you see Duffner every then you, but I, I saw mean, him Buck- get on Will Golson though. Well, Buckner, not yeah, Duffner. Yeah, yeah. Buckner. I saw, well, yeah. Duffner's kind of in a different spot. I don't know if he he can right now because of I've duties. Seen, but you've seen him do it before a little bit, but Buckner's kind of the only one that – I don't know, man. That's just – look, I've, I've been around sports my whole life. I've coached different multiple sports. Uh, something like that happens. I just – that I, – I feel like I'm getting in someone's grill, man. That that just kind of irks me because that's that's something where you're, you're hurting the team. And um, at the end of the day, you just tell the person, okay, so – by doing that, you're putting yourself above the team is what you're doing. I mean, yeah, that that's essentially it. But all things considered, I'm honestly really hype. We just had Greg Allman on. We had a really good segment. The dude's so knowledgeable, knows so much about the team and the history and the inner workings of what's going on. We're obviously, again, very thankful to have him on and get some of his opinions and thoughts on all things Buccaneers. And, you know, to kind of piggyback on some of the conversations he did and uh, throw me off on a few things and and i'll be honest you asked a question that i thought was really fair should we consider a president of football operations and he said no i don't because i and i know what he meant there's a lot of people that have said Derek brooks or work done and i and i but i you know and that's why i didn't want him to get hung up on that specifically and yeah again you know coming from me Awesome. Shout out to Greg. Thanks for coming on. He didn't have to do that, um, you know, in his spare time and everything. That's awesome. But yeah, the me asking him about bringing on someone to, you know, let's say we have to find a new coach and GM this offseason. Let's just, let's just take a step back and be honest about it. You know, the Glazers' recent head coaching record and GM hasn't been great. So... And I, I didn't want him to get caught up on Derek Brooks, but, you know, someone, you know, like the Jaguars brought in like a Mike Tomlitter or, you know, uh, someone threw out on the radio today and I forget who it was, my apologies, but like a Bruce Arians type, just someone that knows football to kind of head this thing up. You know what I mean? It just seems like the Glazers, I want to say, have you, have you caught this trend? And I thought about this the other day. You almost... They're almost kind of overcorrecting. So think about this. We started what was the we started with Raheem, correct? So in this little, you know, period of us looking like crap. So we start with Raheem. That's a decade. And and what was the problem with Raheem? A lot of people didn't like it. He was out in Soho hanging with the players and coaches. A lack of discipline, correct? Hey, hey, to jump in real quick, I definitely did some shots with Raheem uh on a Saturday night before a Bucks home game, but uh moving on. All right, so you were part of the problem. Thanks for bringing that up. Yep. So, so that so let's say the Josh that was, Freeman was there too, for the record. But we know how that <laughs> ended. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was lack of discipline, and I, look at the end of the day, he didn't have great talent. But let's say lack of discipline for Raheem, correct? Yeah, for so, sure. Okay. So he kind of lost the team too, but that's a discipline thing. Okay, but here's here's my point. We're gonna overcorrect now, right? We're gonna go get Greg Schiano, the uh, drill instructor. Toes on the line. We're running, you know, before we do a spread, toes on the line. And you got a bunch of grown men looking at him like, dude, you're you're talking to me about my toes, really? You know what I'm saying? So then we get to this point where, oh, man, we got to have that guy. Let's bring back some of the glory days. Let's bring back love. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like they overcorrect what the mistake was in the previous coach and GM. And at the end of the day, you just got to hire two guys that you think you're going to do the best job. Don't worry about, oh, this last guy. You know, I don't want them to overcorrect this time. Oh, Cutter had a great offense. Well, we got to hire a defensive guy this time. You know what I'm saying? It's tough, man. I. It's, and, and here's the other thing. Do any of us think Cutter is going to, you know, and I, we asked Greg this, and he said, you know, the next couple weeks would tell. Um, and I, I'll be honest, man. I don't think Cutter is going to be here next year. It just doesn't feel like 
it just doesn't feel right. You know what I'm saying? I just have that, that gut feeling it's not going to work out. But now that I'm thinking about head coaches and like, I don't want to get too far ahead because we still have a bunch of time, but I would say this. I do see what you're saying. I think that is real, especially they definitely tried real hard with the lovey, bringing back home, that whole thing. And obviously we know how that worked out. Now, if you next time around try to bring in Monty Kiffin or, or, uh, oh my God, I can't think of a defensive lineman coach that was with Detroit and then was with the Cowboys. You know what I'm talking about? Um, I can picture his face. If we're trying to bring guys from like the heyday of the Bucks when we won Super Bowls and had that great defense, I'm not cool with that. But it does feel like that's what they try to do with Lovey. And I would hope in the future we take looks at, you know, it's tough. You take a chance sometimes. Like Raheem was emerging. We, I think, got him a little early. And I honestly don't think Raheem was a bad coach. I really don't. I think he got in over his head way too fast. And he didn't have a strong enough pool of coaches with him. But I do think... Oh, yeah. And I, the, the mistake, I and I wish... I get it because you say, oh, man, we don't want to lose this guy. But, I mean, he hadn't even been a coordinator. So, but yeah, I don't want to get too caught up on that, like you said. At the end of the day, the only the only way I see Cutter having a shot, in my opinion... 9-7. Yeah, some kind of run to, at the end of the year... Just, yeah, looking like we're almost make it look like better than what it was. Like, oh, man, we were close to the playoffs. So, that I mean, that's the only shot. It, still going how it goes now, He he. I, th- I don't think anyone thinks he's surviving. No, no. And I was thinking about this while watching the game, man. Can you think of another team in the league that so consistently puts themselves behind? Only you know, I swear to God, I think we might be the best, like, third and fourth quarter like second half team in the league i'm not exaggerating because we will put up like 30 points to catch up i mean what were we 35 to 7 and right but you know what i agree first off i I hate it it's just my point is is i don't know how we can start the game faster but again we've been talking about this for how many years now yeah and part of me thinks that Oh yeah, we look great in a second. I I just can't help but think when I watch the game that look, they were up what, <laughs> you know, four touchdowns or whatever it was. You can't tell me they're taking their foot off the gas a little bit as a you know what I'm saying? I just to me it's like too little too late. You're behind that far like then we start playing kind of like street yard, everybody everybody get open and we start putting up some good numbers and touchdowns, but it's like, come on, man, you're down four or five touchdowns. Like you give up five touchdowns and a half and speaking. And I honestly, I agreed with what a, a lot of what Greg said, but I don't know that I'm totally sold on the effort thing. I, I see other teams with lesser names just fly to the football and do stuff that, especially like you said, coming out of the gates in a game, I just look at that as some of these veteran guys, you gotta, you gotta get your boys and everyone like jacked up to play a freaking football game and be excited about it. And everybody rallied to the ball and hit somebody in the mouth. And I just, man, I I think there's only one or two guys that are kind of putting that vibe out there. Definitely haven't seen that in a while. And you know, the more I think about it, and I've told you this, and I've, I, I will still say I think we're a better team with Gerald McCoy on it. But oh man, I, look, I'm, I'm, I've got. I'll tell you what, I've gotten to the point. I, I just don't see it with him and a couple of these guys who've been on the team for a while. And as silly as it may seem, that play on the Monday night game where he has a mic on, and he hits Ben. And before Ben hits the ground, Gerald's already saying, I'm sorry. God, that just to me, man, he didn't get a penalty or anything. And it was just like a late little bump. And he's just like, sorry, Ben. Sorry, Ben. Like, you know what, man? I'm not sorry. I might have I might have thrown a little something and pushed you down again. You know what I'm saying? I'm not sorry yeah. because our defenses look like shit for years. So, you know what? I'm not sorry, dude. I... And I've been saying this, man. 
when and I hate this because it's it's really not about Gerald, but it's all about Gerald at the same time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and it's hard to it's hard yeah, to say sorry. one person or single yeah. any person out. And so I I don't want this to be like a bash Gerald thing because I I I do I think he's either. a great player, and you do too. And we've talked about this, but I will say, man, there is something. There's just something odd. We can't ever seem to get our defense right. And he's been a staple of that. And so is Levante. And it's like, in my mind, for whatever the reason, it just never seems to work. And I don't know if that means, yo, we just need to like move on and like trade them for a different player or just try to make a move to bring in some new fresh blood that just hasn't been through nine losing seasons. Because at this point, that's what Gerald has been here for. Like, how do you get hype up? hyped up for next year when it's like there's been hype before we've had the number one offense we've been putting up points and ho you know oh hey our defense is still the essentially the worst in the league so like for him what does he at the same time what does he have to do at defensive tackle does he need to put up sap numbers to make a difference for us because it would seem like we really would need gerald to put up 12 sacks a season to to make a difference and there's not really many D tackles in the league this day and age doing that. No, and I and I think that's unfair to put to say anyone has to be sapped. That's just, I mean, to me. But I'm saying that's kind of like what you hear in the in, you see on social media. It's like, and and I'm and guilty of wanting that. more from him, but you can't compare him to sap. And I feel like a lot of people do that, and that's yeah. not fair. No, and that and that's you know to be that's just unfortunate for him. He came to a spot where, man, um. I mean, I'm 32, and I I can count on one hand, you know, guys that were a three technique in the league like Warren Sapp. They're just, I mean, those guys just don't grow on trees. And V to V, I mean, he's got to live in that shadow too. And to be honest with you, I just don't think he'll ever be anything close to that. Not that he has to, but I mean, that's like, you know, it's tough. Growing up when we did, that's the benchmark. You know what I'm saying? That's yeah, and that's as good as it comes. Like you said, it's gotten to the point an attitude or something has to change. Like I just, man, as a sports guy, and then I go back to watching the hard knocks and thing. I get Gerald. You see it. You can see it when you go back. Like, Look, and I hate to pile on him. He's, he is a really talented player and he's done a lot of good. Good human. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome human. But it's like, you're sitting there and even on hard knocks, we're running drills against the Jaguars and stuff. And he's like making a tackle and then like joking around and doing a dance. Like, no, screw that, man. This is football, and you play defensive tackle. You're in front of somebody's face pretty much in uh, hand-fighting them to get position every Every play. play. Every play. I'm sorry. And then that stuff, like, save me and you were defensive tackles, man. And, you know, I sit there and I do a drill, and then I come over and, like, dance in front of you. Does that get you, like – going to be in a spirit to go out and play like hardcore football or does it get you this like no man f that like let's go after these dudes right now you know what i'm saying it's just that oh man you've got i've gotten to the point i just want to see more of of that and that that's kind of the reason i always kind of defend kwan because i think he brings a little bit of that and you know he has his deficiencies but i i feel like he's a guy that kind of brings that a little bit i'll tell you JPP is stepping up more and more in that role, and you can see it from him. Yeah. You can see him getting on people, and he's been there. He knows what it should be like. And, man, I would just love to hear what he is saying to these guys because you can't – I just cannot imagine Jason Pierre-Paul at his age in the prime of his career putting up basically a sack or two sacks a game is happy or okay with what's going on. I know none of them are, but, I mean, damn, it's not like – he wants to play on a team that's just getting there, you know, worked every week. Yeah, I agree, man. It just, I, I hope in these last eight games and like Greg, uh, Greg alluded to earlier. And I even talked about it at the beginning of the year. I think these next three games are winnable. You know, we go Washington, then the New York giants and then the Niners. And it's just like, if there's any hope of like finding a little life and, being able to enjoy a little bit of the season, we just we got to run through these games, man, and and just <laughs> it doesn't look good. I mean, I, I hear people now, oh, we're not going to win another game of the year. I don't think that's the case, but you know, we we just got to see something change, and hopefully, it starts this week. Oh man, I I am I'm excited because you know what's crazy is 
sports are a beautiful thing. It is truly, I, I hated that, uh, Sh- I think it was Shiana that used to say, hey, we're in a new season now. But honestly, you do get a chance every week to right the ship a little bit. And we have an opportunity to play better and to start making changes. Do I think we're going to be the number one defense by the end of the year? No. Do I think, just like Greg said, and what we said in the offseason, if we could just be middle of the pack with that offense, we will be competitive. Do I think we can hang with the Saints or some of the heavy hitters? No. But this wasn't the year we win at all. This was the year that we get competitive and take a step forward and make the playoffs, maybe wild card, something. And I'm still optimistic we can find a way to turn this around. I don't know what the answer is, but I'll tell you, Ryan Fitzpatrick last week was not the reason we lost that game. And let me ask you this though, because I want to ask you, I've been wanting to ask you this. I knew this. I knew. Okay, go ahead. So last Sunday, was that a lot different of a game than watching us play against the Falcons and the Browns on the quarterback side? Was uh, that, well, to me, to me, I'll just say this to me, I think it was literally like watching Jameis, not not against the Bengals, let me preface that, not against the Bengals, but against Atlanta and Cleveland, it was pretty damn close from the quarterback position. I won't argue that. The one thing that I do feel like Ryan Fitzpatrick has the edge right now is his decision-making is happening a little bit faster than Jameis. And I feel like I'm seeing that. But what's also weird, though, is like, this is going to be weird that I'm going to support Jameis in this way, but Fitzpatrick underthrew that ball that got picked to Deshaun. If he puts that ball in front of him, that's a touchdown because he had a step on him. And I don't know why, but I feel like Jameis would have hit that throw. I don't think that's a pick if Jameis is in, as weird as that sounds. And and, and, and I do want to say, look, Carolina's defense – they're good. They're a good you know, team, man. Got a solid defense, and they definitely showed some deficiencies in our offensive line. Man, Donovan Smith. Yeah, we'll get there. Don't worry. I got a whole – okay, we'll get there. But to your point, no, I don't – I don't think – man, it's tough. It's tough. I don't th- – I do think Jameis probably throws another pick. He probably leaves that game with two picks. He's just shown that that's what he does, and I feel like he would start taking chances. But that's the whole freaking point, man. Why We're always playing from behind, and we're always asking him to go win the game four touchdowns down. So, yeah, is he going to throw a bunch of touchdowns and yards? Yes. He's probably going to throw some picks, just like Brett Favre did early on. And, I'm, you know, it's funny. I'm not supporting Jameis, but the more and more I go down this road and I'm starting to just, like, really pay attention, dude, I don't think this is a Jameis thing. I think he is the, well, I think, he's the yeah, scapegoat. I think, this, exactly. I think this past Sunday showed that. That's that, and to your point, yeah. I think he's the scapegoat. Obviously, he's a quarterback. He's the number one overall pick. But what coaching has he like? He's been coached by one, essentially one offensive coordinator since he's been here, and that's Dirk Cutter. And like, if you think back, Matt Ryan wasn't lighting the world on fire with Dirk Cutter, if I remember. I could be wrong. They had some pretty good years. He really took off when he had Kyle Shanahan there, but he he had, he had some he had some solid years with Cutter. I just man, I wonder if, if all you know, Jameis was always pegged as being the mentally tough dude coming out of college. You know, with everything he had been through off the field, he found a way to get through it. Blah blah blah, that whole thing. And to his credit, he always just kind of like kept playing, and he was always just doing his thing. But the turnovers started catching up to him. I wonder if, man, I wouldn't be shocked if we kept him. I'll be honest with you. I really wouldn't if we kept him and cleaned house and said, you know what? This fifth year, dude, this is your this is your final shot. Because if you blow this, you're not, he's not starting anywhere ever again. That's just how the NFL works. He's not going to, I mean, maybe if there's an injury or something, you know how that goes. But if if we clean house, GM, coach, and whoever comes in, I could see a situation where they're intrigued enough by Jameis's talent to say, you know, I think I could get that guy right. And I just think of like Sean McVay. You can't convince me if that dude's our coach, he doesn't find a way to, to work better with Jameis. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's freaking night and day from what he's done with golf, you know, from his previous coach. So 
Yeah, man, I don't I don't want to get us going too long. I mean, we had Greg on putting a lot of things up, but that, you know, that's just a that's going to be a conversation the rest of the season whether he plays, whether he gets in there and what we do, but I just you know, reiterating I I think it's it's going to be hard to move on from him from next year just cuz I don't think there's going to be a lot of options for us, especially like Greg said, maybe we draft someone in the later rounds. But um Agreed. Man, let's uh also let's, let's kind of just quick quickly, yeah, I was gonna say let's quickly jump on that offensive line. Man, we thought they would be a strength and what's going on? To me I mean, to me right now, especially this past week, the only two players I see there that I'm happy with are Marpet and Jensen. Yeah. Donovan Smith, in as much as he wants to come on and say he thinks he's one of the top left tackles in the league and you know, maybe maybe he's the top half, but Man, he he almost you know his footwork. I'll say his foot speed has never been great, and it and it, sometimes it shows. So between him at left tackle, Benarnau right guard, and Dotson at right tackle, they're just very underwhelming. And it, I guess, a pretty solid defense became clear Sunday. They they just struggled, man. And Benarnau, I think we said this last time. That dude's gotta have whiplash. I mean. <laughs> Dude. Yeah, I'd almost like to see. I mean, I, I guess he's just not ready. But, you know, Kappa, we, you know, the round How pick bad do you have to be that you can't beat out that dude? I'm just saying. like, That's what I'm saying. He must, he must just not be doing something in practice for them to put him in there. But it's bad. And that, that O-line, and, and you just kind of see the athleticism. Like, when the Panthers are running these reverses and stuff, and their O-line's getting out in front of our guys, and we're just – we're not doing it, and we're having a they, – they got in Fitz's face a lot uh, Sunday. And, and Peyton Barber it, has no room to run, dude. He's getting hit behind the line trying to fall forward for three yards. And to his credit, I'll be honest, I really think Peyton Barber has been okay. I, I know his numbers haven't shown it, but if you watch the games, dude, he's getting hit behind the line a lot or getting hit at the line, and he's kind of wiggling and getting two or three, and it's like – if we just could get him some holes, man, I feel like he could he could be okay. Yeah, I don't have a problem with him. He's I think he runs hard and on first and second down, like I said, I you know, even since the beginning of the year, I just think it's that third down scat back guy out of the backfield that catches the ball is something this offense needs and Ronald Jones. I, and I will say this about Jason Light and then we'll move on to the Redskins, but if Jason thought that Ronald Jones was Nobody thought that dude was hit, that, like a guy that could come out of the backfield and catch passes and do that. Thing, then, then he's got some serious problems. Because I I watched enough USC games and I didn't watch that many, but I can tell you he's not like you. You just watch these, and I'm texting you during the Patriots game and look at the Bengals with the Gio Bernard and Patriots with James White, James White and Aaron Eckler's of the world. You know those yeah, Austin, dudes, Austin Eckler, Austin the Eckler. yeah, just. Yeah, guys that you literally could throw them a swing pass and they'll get eight yards. You know, and like constantly, and we just do not have that guy yet. To be honest, I think the best guy suited for that role is Sean Wilson, and I don't know what is keeping him from getting on the field a little more. We keep seeing Jaquiz in that kind of role, but I'm, I'll be honest, I'm over Jaquiz. Like I'm, he's yeah, got he no the, wiggle. He had that one awesome players like a third and 15 and he helped us pick it up but yeah he's just not going to give you anything special you know he's a he's a third or fourth run back that just kind of a solid guy but anyway um man redskins. we talked about a lot tonight yeah let's just go on to the redskins real quick what do you see kind of not uh i think we lose this one man i'll be honest with you oh man that would be it hurts it hurts we, to say it but the sky's going to be falling if we lose this one. I'll tell you that, brother. Do you, do you think Dirk gets fired? Okay, if we lose maybe two of the next three, do you think he gets fired before the end of the year? The only problem, I, I just don't think we can fire him. I just think because we already got rid of Mike Smith, I just don't think there's anyone to step up. I mean, you could say Todd Munkin, but then, I mean, you're leaving. We fired our head coach and our D coordinator, and – now Todd Munkin is the head coach and the offense. You know what I mean? I, th I just think that's too much to put on someone's plate. So I think Cutter's here the rest of the year. Um, uh, yeah. I'll go out. I'll be at the game. Hey, hey, hey. Any of you guys out there be in the uh, 
north side of the stadium, tailgating a little bit. But, uh, man, I think we can squeeze this one out. The, you know, the Redskins, Adrian Peterson kind of playing some good football, but not the scariest guy in the league right now, you know, not like he was back in the day. And as good as Alex Smith is, and he won't give us a lot of chances to get picks and stuff like that because he's just a really solid quarterback, but, you know, I don't think he's someone that can kind of just kill us on big plays down the field. So didn't it, wasn't he the one who broke off 115 last year when he was with Arizona? What do you what do you mean, Alex Smith? No, 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 Adrian. Oh, against us? Oh, yeah. probably. Yeah. <laughs> I was just as you were talking, I was kind of like I was thinking. Yeah, I, I think he did. Yeah, as crazy as crazy as it sounds. Like as you were saying that, I was like, dude, I I actually think Adrian could break off a good little bit on us. Which yeah, I hate say, thinking know, about, but you know he he's been kind of up and down. He'll have a good game and then subpar game. But I I think we the point is I think we can kind of focus on stopping him, and I think we can do that if we focus on stopping him. And how about that as a as a defense? That's what I want to I want us to do the rest of the year. Pick something to stop. You know what I'm saying? Let's stop Adrian Peterson this Sunday, and then make Alex Smith throw for 400 and beat us. If he does. Hey, it's just been like everyone else. You know what I mean? But they, they don't yeah. have necessarily these huge, you know, breakout wide receivers that can just kill us all day, in my opinion. Um, so let's just make them beat us. And like we've said all year, I think our offense can score on anyone. So, hey, I think we can go. I'm never going to pick us to win big because it ain't been looking good. But I think we can squeeze one out at Ray J. Let's get some Bucks fans out there, son. Yeah. Well, Another week in the books. Again, so thankful Greg Allman was a part of it. That was fun. We're uh, we're looking to do a couple more of these. We got some other people we've been talking to, uh, and hopefully towards the end of the year we'll get Greg back on here again. Uh, but again, thank all you guys for listening. This is just so much fun for Matt and I to sit here and talk Bucks football and what's been going on, um, and all the emails and questions you know we get and, and respond to people. It's been cool. And we just appreciate all of y'all. So until next time. Absolutely. Fire the cannons!